hearing from heaven how to know the voice of, of God. Have you ever heard someone say, well, the Lord spoke to me? You know, the Lord spoke to me, and he told me to tell you that you need to do such and such. Pastor, the Lord spoke to me, and he told me to tell you that our church needs to go this direction. And all these people out there talking about how the Lord speaks to them. Lord told me this. Lord told me that. Have you ever heard that and it's made you wonder, what's wrong with me? You know, I don't hear God talk to me that way. Do these folks have a closer walk with God than I do? Are they more spiritual than I am? Is there something wrong with my walk with the Lord? Am I not even saved? And if you've ever struggled with those questions, if you've heard all these people talking about how God talks to them, God told me this and that, I hope that tonight will be a great encouragement to you. So as we begin, I want us to define a couple of terms because these are terms that are widely, widely misunderstood. Revelation. Revelation refers to God revealing new information that up until that point has been previously hidden. God giving new information. You hear people say this all the time. Oh, well, God gave me revelation on that. God, God gave me revelation on this. Well, no, he didn't. Dear friends, God is not revealing anything new anymore today. He is not revealing anything new that he has not already revealed in his word. Revelation is not happening anymore today. It's completed with the completed canon of scripture. Now, what is happening today is illumination. And illumination refers to the enabling work of the Holy Spirit of God in the lives of believers to help us understand and appropriate the truths of Scripture. As Christians, most of us can give testimony to various points in our lives when we have been reading the Bible and all of a sudden, you know, we read a verse that maybe we've read a thousand times before, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's what that means. You know, the proverbial light bulb moment, right? And like, oh, that makes it. Now I understand. That's illumination. And illumination should be happening in the lives of us as believers. So illumination, yes. Revelation, no. Okay. All right. So a, a brief little history lesson on where this notion began of God speaking to people in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture. It began with a movement known as pietism in the late 1600s went through the early to mid-1700s, and pietism was a reaction to the highly intellectualized orthodoxy of the Lutheran and Reformed Church in the late 1600s. Uh, there was this belief that maybe uh, orthodoxy in the years after the Reformation, the 150 or so years after the Reformation, that uh, orthodoxy had become just a little too heady, a little too intellectualized, a little, a little cold, and so there began a reaction to that known as pietism. It began with a man named Philip Spinner. And Spinner was certainly no heretic at all, but he began to deviate just a little bit from uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. And he allowed for God speaking in like still small voices in our heads and things like that. And then August Franck a bit later, and August Franck uh, deviated even more from Philip Spinner. And as I said the other night, error always begets more error until you get to Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf 
And Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf developed something called a theology of the heart. That's always a dicey proposition given what Jeremiah 17 says about our hearts. But he emphasized heartfelt convictions over and above that of theology and doctrine. And Zinzendorf was a leader of a group known as the Moravians. And the Moravians are the ones who first began this practice of closing your eyes and opening up your Bible and pointing. And then whatever you point to, that's God's word for you. You've probably seen people do this. I see a lot of nodding heads. Yeah. That's a very dicey proposition to do as well. Um, what, if, what if this happens? You think, okay, I, I really need a word from the Lord. And so, Lord, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm just going to open the Bible and I'm going to point and whatever, whatever I point to, that's, I know that's going to be your word for me. So, so we take our Bibles and close our eyes and we open it up at random and we point and look. It says, Joseph, I mean, excuse me, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> oh, that, that can't be right. So, okay, I'm going to try this again. All right, Lord, that was a misfire. Let's, let's do this again and close our eyes and point, look down. Go and do thou likewise. <laughs> so now you're starting to sweat a little bit. All right, Lord, I, all right, I really, really mean it this time. Okay, once more. Close our eyes, point, open. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? <laughs> not a good way, by the way, to get God's will for your life. Divine revelation knowledge. Uh, this was a term that was first coined by Essek W. Kenyon. Kenyon was, we could say, the grandfather of the word faith movement. Kenyon believed in two types of knowledge. The first of these is sensory knowledge, that which we get through our five senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. And then the other kind of knowledge that he believed in was revelation knowledge. And this is supernatural knowledge that comes only from God. But according to Kenyon, the catch to this is that these two spheres of knowledge are mutually exclusive. In other words, reasoning or logical thought is of no value. So in other words, if you really want to go deep with God, if you want to get to the deep, secret, hidden, mystical things of God, you've got to disengage rational thought. Put the old noodle up here and park. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? No. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. The Bible never enjoins us to disengage our minds when it comes to the things of God. Lectio Divina is a, a modern-day version of this, and Lectio Divina requires that you empty your mind so that God can talk to you. And uh, we had a question the other night, maybe I guess it was last night, about, um, about John Piper. And unfortunately, several, five, six, seven years ago, something like that, uh, John Piper was at a conference with Beth Moore. And John, Con John Piper and Beth Moore and some other person, I don't remember who it was right now, but they were all up on the stage practicing Lectio Divina. And they were up there and they were just standing and they closed their eyes and 
supposedly emptying their minds to wait for God to speak to them. That is not biblical at all. That's a pagan practice. Speaking of Beth Moore, give you a couple examples of some of the things that she teaches. Beth Moore says this in her book entitled Praying God's, God's Words. She says, What little I know, I want others to know. Before God tells me a secret, okay, that's Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism. It's a modern-day version of Gnosticism. Before God tells me a secret, he knows up front I'm going to tell it. Now, stop right there. God tells her secrets, but he knows up front that she's going to tell it. Is it really a secret? I mean, that doesn't even, that doesn't even make any sense. And she says, by and large, that's our deal. You see, Beth Moore and, and God, they have their own deal going on between the two of them, you see. And that's such a, you see, Beth Moore has such a close relationship with God. She's got her own special deal with God. Do you have your own special little deal with God? Well, if you don't, you're just not as spiritual as Beth Moore is. In her other book, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things, a book that is ironically subtitled Arming Yourself in the Age of Seduction, Beth Moore says this, I heard the voice of God speak to my heart, come and play. I love that he said, come, not go, come. That meant that he was already there. I also love how I could tell by the sweet tone of his silent voice. What in the world does that even mean? Sweet tone of a silent voice? If the voice is silent, A, it's not even a voice, but how does it have a tone? I could tell by the sweet tone of his silent voice that he was smiling. I could have outlined his expression with my finger. Ooh. <laughs> I built a snowman. I laughed with God. He laughed with me. I am so in love with him. I am so in love with him. Gross. Jesus is like her boyfriend. And Jesus spoke to her, said, come and play. And she, so she came out, skipping outside, and, and built a snowman with Jesus. This is bizarre. And if Southern Baptist had a female pope, it would be Beth Moore. I tell you what, I have not been attacked as viciously by word of faith folks as I have Beth Moore folks. And Beth Moore goes on to say, I just don't have it queued up uh, for, the, for the screen, but Beth Moore goes on to say in the same book, just a, a couple of sentences later, speaking of going out and making a snowman with Jesus, uh, she's called this an, quote, immortal romance that she has with Jesus, an immortal romance. That's just, that's, that's creepy. That's gross. Jesus is her boyfriend. And you listen to a lot of these female Bible teachers, and they have a very romanticized view of Christ. And I think they see in Jesus what they want to have, but often don't have in their husbands or, you know, boyfriends or whatever. And Jesus becomes their surrogate boyfriend. 
But hearing from God is apparently a very important part of our life. Watch this from Rick Warren. Last week, we began a new uh, mini-series on understanding how to hear the voice of God. Very few things are more important than this because you can't have a relationship to God if you can't hear God. If all you do is ever talk to Him in prayer and you never hear God speak to you, that's a one-way relationship. That isn't much of a relationship. So if you don't hear God speak to you, then you don't have much of a relationship with God. That's, that's a one-way relationship. You don't have much of a relationship with it. So if you're not hearing God speak to you, then you're in trouble. This from Priscilla Shire. Hi, I'm Priscilla Shire, and I'm hoping that you'll join me for a six-week journey as we talk about how we can hear and discern the voice of God in our lives. Do you really expect and anticipate that the divine voice of God can be heard by you? Do you really think that he loved you enough to die for you, but doesn't love you enough to then talk to you? Do you think that he loved you enough to die for you, but does not love you enough to talk to you? What, what does she think this is? What an insult to the word of God. Now, this from, and I know I'm going to raise a lot of eyebrows with this one. This from Charles Stanley. So you're, are you asking if God speaks specifically? And the answer is, yes, he does. Let me give you two or three examples. Speaking about buying groceries, on a particular day, I had a very short period of time, and so I wanted to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving. My time was really running out. I thought, well, I shouldn't do this now. I said, God, just show me what to do. It's like God said, go to this store, buy the turkey now. Against sort of my will, I went. I walked right in, straight to the right place, the right pound of turkey, walked right out, paid it, got back in the car in less than about 25 minutes. Did God tell me to go? Yes, he did. So God tells Charles Stanley where to go to get his Thanksgiving Day turkey. Has God ever told you where to go get your turkey? If God hasn't told you where to go get your turkey, then you just don't have as close a relationship with God as does Charles Stanley. And this is not an isolated thing from Stanley, by the way. Stanley's very mystical, right? Very mystical. I have heard him more times than I can even count talk about how God speaks to him. God whispers things to him. And I... I don't say this at all to be, um, I'm not trying to be cruel here at all, but I, ju- I cannot help but to point out the obvious. I, I say this not to um, disparage Charles Stanley, but I say this to point out an, uh, what should be an obvious issue, an obvious problem with claiming that God speaks to you on such a regular basis to the to the degree that God even feels it necessary to talk to you to where to go get your Thanksgiving Day turkey, Charles Stanley is divorced. God tells him where to go get his turkey, but did not tell him how to save his marriage. 
and Charles Stanley should not be in the ministry. And I think he's he's at this point now. I think he's all but all but retired, but he's close to ninety years old. But um, as as a man who's divorced, he should he's disqualified from being in the pulpit. Sam Storms. Now, Sam Storms, for those of you who are not familiar with him, he would be in our soteriological circles. He believes in the doctrines of grace, uh, but he does believe in the continuance of the apostolic gifts, the signed gifts. So, in other words, he is a charismatic. He is a reformed charismatic, which I believe is a contradiction in terms when you look at the five solas that we looked at uh, last night. No, night before last, Roman Catholicism. But... um, Anyway, that's what Sam Storms is. And he writes in his book, Practicing the Power. He says, To be the recipient of prophetic revelation from God, whether in dreams, impressions, trances, visions, or words of knowledge and words of wisdom, can be nothing short of euphoric. The experience brings feelings of nearness to God and a heightened sense of spiritual intimacy that isn't often the case with other of the charismata, with other of the charismatic gift or the spiritual gifts rather so you see what sam storms here is doing he is he is elevating the prophetic gifts above that of the more normative gifts like teaching mercy administration exhortation giving hospitality those kind of gifts he's he's putting the the prophetic gifts and the gift of tongues and dreams and visions and all that stuff that's higher you see that has a, has a deeper level of intimacy with God to the point of being euphoric that you just don't get in the other spiritual gifts. So if, if you have one of these higher gifts, you're more spiritual than someone who has the gift of mercy or hospitality or administration or teaching. That is a false dichotomy. That's a very dangerous thing to teach. That, again, that is a warmed-over version of the ancient heresy of Gnosticism. And I would submit to you that the resource that is singularly most responsible for introducing charismatic theology into at least theoretically non-charismatic churches is Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Just out of curiosity, raise your hand if you have been through Experiencing God, maybe even led a class of it. Yeah, probably, probably about half or so of the hands in here. Surprised it's not more than that. But Experiencing God burst onto the scenes in about 1991, early 90s. And it's not that everything in Experiencing God is wrong, but there is a lot of mysticism, a lot of verses taken out of context. And Henry Blackaby championed hearing God's voice outside of Scripture. In fact, he says on page 87, If you have trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the very heart of your Christian experience. So if you have trouble hearing God speak to you, you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience. See how dangerous this is and how injurious this is to teach someone if they believe that and they're not hearing from God and they're thinking there's something wrong with me? can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have told me that they have been made to doubt their walk with God their walk with Christ, doubt their very salvation simply because they're not hearing God speak to them. Now, I'm about to show you a video from Sid Roth.
And uh, let me just say, you're thinking, well, gosh, we just saw a video from Charles Stanley and now Sid Roth. Are you saying Charles Stanley's like Sid Roth? No, Charles Stanley is not word of faith per se. I'm showing you these clips from these very different people that come from, um, you know, and hold to different theologies simply to illustrate the ubiquitous nature of this belief, the widespread nature of this belief that God should be speaking to us in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture. It's not just the wing nuts on TBN. It is those, and we're about to look at one. But it's also people like Rick Warren and Charles Stanley and, you know, people that we would not normally associate with, like Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn. But uh, this belief is, it is so widespread. And I would say, I would say before experiencing God came out, the vast majority of Baptist, Southern Baptist, uh, would have understood God speaks to us in the Bible, we speak to him in prayer. Now hardly anybody understands that. Now I would say upwards of 95% of Southern Baptists think that God speaks to us in still small voices and we should be hearing God speak. And it's largely because of experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. But uh, it does get a lot more extreme. And this is Sid Roth. Sid Roth has his own program on Daystar and TBN, other networks, entitled It's Supernatural. And... Sid Roth has the looniest guest you could possibly imagine. I mean, he, he has guests that almost all of them claim to have been to heaven multiple times. Some, some of them go to heaven daily, some multiple times a day. Uh, he had a lady on his program not too long ago, a couple years ago, that said uh, it's, she's her violin playing. She's so anointed when she plays a violin that people actually age in reverse. Now, you would think that would be a best-selling album, wouldn't you? I mean, uh, she, he, he had a guest named Joshua Mills on, claims that this woman was fishing, fishing in the Arctic, and, and she lost her sunglasses, and God brought up a fish wearing, not the sunglasses that she lost, mind you, but a brand-new pair of sunglasses a fish swam up to her wearing sunglasses. I mean, you can't make this stuff. It's, if somebody held a gun to my head and said, Justin, I want you to come up with a story that is crazier than the previous guest on Sid Roth's program, I'd say, I'd say pull the trigger. <laughs> I got nothing. Now, what you're about to see is one of the most disturbing clips I have ever seen on Christian television. Sid Roth is about to interview the granddaughter of a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was a faith healer in the first half of the 1900s, and he was known for kicking and punching people who were sick. Because if someone's sick, well, that means they got a demon on them. You know, demon of cancer, demon of arthritis or whatever. And, and he could see the demons. He could see the demons wrapped around the person's body. And naturally, the only way to dislodge a demon of sickness from someone is to kick them or punch them, right? Just like we see Jesus and the apostles doing in the New Testament. But watch this from Sid Roth. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. I have read 
of the great men and women of faith. One in particular intrigues me so much. His name, Smith Wigglesworth. He had some of the most outrageous miracles I ever heard of in my life. Uh, Let me give you one example. Some parents had a two-month-old baby dying in the hospital. The parents kidnapped the child, took the child to a Smith Wigglesworth meeting, and Smith looks at the child, looks at the parents, and says, can I do what God tells me to do? Well, what would you do if you were the parents? The child's dying anyway, right? He takes the baby, two-month-old, throws the baby against the wall. The baby. Then the baby's on the floor. He ta- have you ever seen someone play soccer? Have you ever seen them uh, kick a soccer ball? He does that with the baby. The baby falls into the congregation. No crying. Is it dead? 100% healed. No crying. Is that not horrific? Is that not shocking? Throwing a baby against a wall and then kicking it? This is unbelievable. And friends, this is not the fringe of the charismatic movement. This is the mainstream of the charismatic movement. Sid Roth on his YouTube channel has 1.26 million subscribers. 1.26 million subscribers. Over triple what Grace to You has on their YouTube channel. Triple. And that's the kind of stuff they see. It's unbelievable. Now, my guess is, is that this probably never happened. Was Smith Wigglesworth did kick and punch people, no doubt. I mean, that's documented that he did it. In fact, Todd Bentley got his inspiration from Smith Wigglesworth. Todd Bentley is a guy who goes around kicking and punching people, too. I've seen it with my own eyes in person. Uh, my guess is that this is probably not something but that happened, and I can only hope and pray that it didn't, but if it did... If it did, that baby died. Unless you think that people are not dumb enough to believe something like this, the very fact that they are putting it on national television and indeed worldwide with the Internet, it's, what you just saw is on his YouTube channel right now. The very fact that they put it on there is inherent proof that people are dumb enough to believe this. And remember that one of the charismatic mantras that you hear all the time from charismatics when it comes to healing, what God does for one, he'll do for you. You hear charismatics say that all the time. What God does for one, he'll do for you. God healed someone over here, he'll do it for you. And people are sitting at home, they're watching this. 
And someone's watching this at home and they're thinking, my kid is sick. My neighbor's kid is sick. What God does for one, he'll do for you. The very fact that it's on his YouTube channel right now is self-evident proof that people are dumb enough to believe this. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. There, it, And Dr. Michael Brown has been good friends with Sid Roth for 37 plus years now. Good friends with him. Unbelievable. In addition to the spiritual dangers of this movement, there are physical dangers to this movement. Watch this from Robert Morris, Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church in uh, South Lake, Texas. Prayer is a two-way street. This from Robert Morris. You know, if we said we're going to have a class on prayer, you'd say, that's, that's, I need that. And even the disciples said, teach us to pray. But let me remind you that hearing God is the second half of prayer. Because if you can't hear God, why would you pray? Now, one reason is to make our requests and petitions be known to God. But God never intended prayer to be a giving of our to-do list to Him every morning. He intended prayer to be communication between a father and his children. And if you'll just take some time and start to listen, you'll be amazed that he'll speak. And we've heard this a lot, haven't we? Prayer is a two-way street. You know, we, we go to the Lord in prayer, we talk to him, and then, and then we're supposed to get real quiet and real still, and we're supposed to listen for God to talk back to us. Prayer is a two-way street. I heard this all the time growing up in a Southern Baptist church. Prayer is a two-way street. Have you ever heard that? And maybe you've got something going on in your life, some crisis, some, uh, you know, family issue or some big decision that you've got to make and you're not real sure what to do and you really feel like you need a word from the Lord. And so, and I don't mean to mock, okay? I, I know a lot of people do this and they're very sincere about it. But um, you're very, very serious and you put, you know, kids are in bed and you turn the TV off and you sit down at wherever you like to read your Bible or pray or whatever, sit down at the kitchen table or in your, whatever in your bedroom, and, and you go to the Lord and you pray and you talk to the Lord, Lord, this is what's going on in my life, and, and uh, I really don't know what to do. I need guidance from you, Lord. Speak to me. Speak to me. Tell, what would you have me do? And you get real quiet and you listen real hard. And then, after a few seconds, inevitably, what happens? A voice, right, just kind of, just kind of, flashes through our minds. We, we we think we hear this this voice and some words, and, and we think, oh, oh, was that you, Lord, or was that me? Was that was that God, or was that the pizza I ate tonight? I mean, how do you know? How do you know when it's God speaking to you? Dear friends, you won't find anything like that modeled in Scripture. Nowhere. 
when God spoke, he spoke with crystal clear clarity. Nobody in the Bible had to wonder, is that you, Lord? What did he say? You won't find anything like that modeled in Scripture. Is prayer a two-way street? Well, Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. What a great opportunity. I mean, the ball is sitting on the proverbial tee, waiting for Jesus to knock it out of the park. Guys, I'm so glad you asked me to teach you how to pray. Here's how you pray. You talk to God, and then you, you get real quiet, and you listen real hard for that still, small voice. Is that what Jesus said? No. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus said nothing about prayer being a two-way street. Nothing. But doesn't God speak to us in a still, small voice? Now, I know you probably won't be able to see this, but this is a tweet from Beth Moore. And Beth Moore says this, There's a time to give up and a time to keep trying. Sometimes a time to keep trying feels a whole lot like the time to give up. The only difference is the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, try again. Still, small voice. God speaks to us in a still, small voice. We hear that all the time, right? So let's look at the still, small ver voice. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the account of Elijah. Elijah had just called down fire, destroyed the prophets of Baal, and then uh, Jezebel got after him, and so he fled into the wilderness, afraid of Jezebel, which is kind of an odd thing given what he had just done or God had done through him. But anyway, he fled into the wilderness, afraid of Jezebel, and he found himself in a cave. And we pick up the story. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Now, Elijah is inside of a cave at this point. The Lord... Uh, passed by in a great and strong wind, rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. There it is. But it's got to be in the King James because it's only the King James that renders it this way. Still, small voice. Um, none of the other translations do. It's like sound of a quiet whisper, I think, in the New American Standard. Uh, it's kind of an unusual construction in the Hebrew, but it basically means almost like the most literal rendering is the sound of a, like a low volume or a quiet whisper, something like that in the, in the Hebrew. But uh, still small voice is only found in the King James. So Elijah heard this uh, still small voice. But look at the next verse. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto Elijah and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? So, dear friends, this still small voice that Elijah heard was not some inner impression inside his head. It was not an internal subjective hunch. It was an external audible voice. He first heard it when he was deep on the inside of the cave. He heard this 
still small voice. And it says he walked out to the entrance of the cave so he could hear this voice more clearly. And that's when he heard God speak, what are you doing here, Elijah? This was not some inner impression. It was an external audible voice. So can we please do away with the whole still small voice thing? It's not biblical. It's not biblical. And let me point out a a basic rule of hermeneutics. Not everything that is described in the Bible is prescribed in the Bible. Okay? There's a lot of things that are described that are not prescribed. In other words, there's a lot of things that happened and recorded as happening, but they're not supposed to be considered normative for us today as New Testament believers. Numbers chapter 22, God records, or the Bible records, God speaking through a donkey. I hope you haven't been running into any talking donkeys lately. If you have, you probably need to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, uh, not being drunk with wine. (laughs) But what about my sheep hear my voice? My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27. That tells us that we're supposed to hear the voice of God, right? All right. So John chapter 10, look at verse 1. We're talking about we're sheep and we can hear God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Now watch this carefully. And the sheep, watch, hear his voice. Can you just say those three words? Hear his voice voice. So John 10, 27 to me is the most concise and comprehensive verse in scripture about hearing God. Uh, It is when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Mm. I know them and they follow me. Bada boom, bada bing. There it is. Can't argue with John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Every book out there that is written on how to hear the voice of God. And by the way, All the books out there that are written on how to hear the voice of God, you know, 10 steps to hear the voice of God, five steps, you know, do this, do that. This is how you hear the voice of God, how to tune in to hear the frequency of God. You know, all these, I I did a, just a a Google search not too long ago. And within minutes I had counted like over three dozen, like about 40 different books that you can get right now at like christianbook.com or something like that on how to hear the voice of God. And every single one, not that I've read all of them, but I've read some, but every book out there, every technique, every program on how to hear the voice of God, John 10, 27 is their gold standard text. My sheep hear my voice. So let's look at it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's it. That's, that's the gold standard. But let's look at the fuller context. Let's begin in verse 26. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, said to them, You do not believe. Why? Because you're not of my sheep. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Remember, only two kinds of people in the world, sheep and goats. They were goats. 
you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And look at verse 28. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Dear friends, this is talking about salvation. This is talking, talking about regeneration. This is the new birth. This is the effectual call of the gospel. This is not talking about God whispering to you, telling you where to go to have lunch one day. For those of us who are Christians, before our conversion, what were we before our conversion? We weren't goats because goats don't turn into sheep. Sheep don't turn into goats. Before your conversion, Christian, you are a sheep, but you are a lost sheep. We were given by the Father to the Son from before the foundation of the world. And so as a lost sheep, we're out there in the pasture of life, grazing with our heads down, minding our own business, munching away, you know. But all of a sudden, we hear a voice, and we perk our heads up, and we see the shepherd, and we go to him. This is the call of the gospel. This is when the gospel call becomes effectual, when it quickens us, when when he makes us alive in Christ, when we pass from death to life. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture, a profound passage of Scripture. And it is a terrible trivialization of such a beautiful, majestic text to reduce it down to something as trivial and menial as telling you where to go have lunch one day. If someone cannot read the... You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know the meaning of John chapter 10. I mean, it's painfully obvious just reading it in English. And let me tell you something. Anybody, any preacher, any teacher, male or female, whatever, if they can get John 10, 27 so wrong... Let me tell you something. You have no business listening to that person. That per Let me say, that person has no business teaching Scripture. I mean, this isn't really high-level stuff. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. We are love gifts from the Father to the Son. We were given to Him in eternity past, and that the call of the gospel becomes effectual to us at some point in our lives. Maybe if we've even heard the gospel a hundred or a thousand times before, there comes a point in time when that call becomes effectual, when we have that moment that Paul had or talked about in Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16, when he said, when it pleased the Lord to reveal Christ in me, there comes a time when it pleases God to reveal Christ in us. We hear the call of the gospel. We see the shepherd and we go to him. This is salvation. We go to him and Jesus holds us in his hand. And then look at verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. As if Jesus' hand were not strong enough to hold us, and it is. 
But in verse 29, Jesus takes the Father's hand and wraps it, as it were, around that of his own. And dear friends, ain't none of us getting out of that. If you've ever wondered about eternal security, can I ever lose my salvation? Spend some time in John chapter 10. No, you cannot. Salvation is a gift given, a gift that God never takes back. So those are the two big texts, still small voice and my sheep hear my voice, and they mean nothing of the sort. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, the hottest-selling devotional book on the market today. It is light years ahead of everything else out there on the market. It has sold million, tens of millions of copies. This is no ordinary devotional book. I'm going to show you excerpts directly out of Jesus Calling, copied and pasted. Sarah Young says this, During the same year, back in 92, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book by two anonymous listeners. These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils, pencils and papers in hand, recording the messages they received from him. God Calling is a book. I've got a copy of it myself. It was written back in the 1930s, and I have a copy not for edification, just for, you know, reading. I have a whole section in my, my library that's nothing but heresy. If I, if I ever die and somebody comes across my I'm like, wow, what's Justin been reading? But... Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, it was written by two anonymous female mystics. And uh, these women, it's like they, they practiced waiting in the presence of God and they kept trying to tune in to just the right frequency. And when they finally hit just the right frequency, God started speaking to them and they wrote down what he said. This was the inspiration for Sarah Young to write Jesus Calling. And she says this, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. You see, the Bible just was not enough for Sarah Young. She needed something more. And that is at the root of all of this, this desire to hear God speak to us outside of Scripture. It is a reflection of that very sentiment that the Bible's not enough. I've got to have something more. Here's my question for all of those people who would say the Bible's not enough. Have you mastered this book from cover to cover? From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, have you squeezed every drop of truth there is to be squeezed out of this book? If the answer to that question is no, and it is, because none of us has done that, Every one of us in this room, we could spend a thousand lifetimes studying this Bible and combine all of our cumulative knowledge and barely scratch the surface of what's in this book. So if the answer to that question is no, please don't tell me that the Bible's not enough. You don't even understand what you've got in black and white right in front of you. But it wasn't enough for Sarah Young, and it's not enough for the vast majority of professing Christians today. Sarah Young says this, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. Houston, we have a problem. So just like the ladies who wrote God Calling, and they tuned in to just the right frequency, Sarah Young tuned in to just the right frequency, and Jesus started calling her 
And with pen in hand, she wrote down what he was saying. Dear friends, if that's what is happening, if Sarah Young is writing down what Jesus is saying to her, you know what she's doing? She's writing scripture. That's what she's doing. She's writing scripture. And the same thing can be said anytime someone says that God spoke to me. God told me this. God told me that. Because whatever God says should be just as authoritative as any verse in this book. Dear friends, God cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than he does on another. If God is speaking, God is speaking. And whatever he says should be just as authoritative as any verse in this book. God cannot speak. God cannot speak to us in the Bible and really, really, really mean it. But when he speaks to us today outside of the Bible, he, he still means it, but he doesn't mean it quite as much as he meant it here. How's that work? God just kind of meant it? What, he had his, had his fingers crossed? If God is speaking, God is speaking. Watch this from Beth Moore. What God began to say to me about five years ago, and I'm telling you, it sent me on such a trek with him that my head is still whirling over it. He began to say to me, I'm going to tell you something right now, Beth. And boy, you write this one down and you say it as often as I give you utterance to say it. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. Jesus said, Beth Moore, you write this one down. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. Did you know that? I didn't know the bride of Christ, the church, was paralyzed by unbelief. That's some news to me. But it must be true because Jesus told her that. And even told her to write it down. Beth Moore, in her book, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things, says this. I am being as honest as I know how to be when I say that I did not write these pages by simple preference. I wrote them because had I not... The rocks in my yard would have cried out. Nothing like applying that text to yourself. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. And women just flock after Bethmore. Wow. What God does with what He has promised is His business. I entrust this message entirely to the one who delivered it while I sat bug-eyed. So, Beth Moore is just this passive recipient, and she just like went into this trance, I guess, and God began to download information to her. And so what you're seeing right there when godly people do ungodly, that's some book. Because it was downloaded to her from Christ himself. I wonder where we should put that book. Like, like somewhere between, I don't know, Hebrews and James maybe? It's unreal. Unreal. This from Sam Storms. Sam Storms writes, Dramatic pronouncements aren't helpful Avoid saying things like, thus saith the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord for your life. Those things aren't helpful. 
We have found it that it is better to introduce prophetic utterance with statements such as, I have a strong inner impression that I believe is from the Lord. I had a sense from the Holy Spirit. I had a dream which involved several of you. I feel like the Lord said to me. Do we see that kind of language in the Bible? Well, let's look. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Even in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit spoke, he spoke with crystal clear clarity. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Crystal clear. Well, I just really feel like the Lord is trying to tell us, said nobody in the Bible ever. You will not find that language anywhere in Scripture. When God spoke, he spoke with crystal clear clarity. People knew exactly what he was saying. And you listen to charismatics and a lot of Southern Baptists, well, I feel like the Lord, I feel like the Lord told me that I feel... If you have to wonder whether or not God spoke to you, he didn't. If you have to wonder whether or not God spoke to you, he didn't. Think about this, too. Go through the New Testament. What do we see? Well, we see the four Gospels with the life and ministry account, the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, miracles, signs, teachings, crucifixion, resurrection. The book of Acts, what do we see? We see the birth of the church, giving of the Holy Spirit, birth of the church, and spread of the gospel. Uh, and then you go on to uh, Romans, and you First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all the pastoral epistles, and you see loads and loads of uh, doctrine and theology, and you see instructions on how to organize churches, and see instructions on qualifications for elders, and you see eschatology sprinkled throughout the New Testament, of course, culminating in the book of Revelation, uh, you see how to, how to resolve conflict between believers, how to discipline uh, believers, you know, uh, how, to, how to do evangelism. And, and all these, you see all these instructions about all these vitally important parts of the life of the church. Has it ever occurred to you, have you ever noticed that nowhere, anywhere in the Bible is there even one single syllable of how to hear the voice of God. It ain't there. If this is such a vitally important part of our lives as Christians, why is there absolutely zero instruction, Old or New Testament, on how to hear the voice of God? It's not there. The reason it's not there, A, is because God is not speaking anymore outside of Scripture, his, his speaking was completed with the closing of the canon. And B, if God was speaking to you, you wouldn't need any instructions on how to hear him. But if God is speaking, then we should add whatever he is saying to the Bible. We should add it to this book. There's only one problem with that. This book says, do not add to the... Golly. If any of you is a, uh, <laughs> my, uh, if any of you is an Apple expert, I need some help with my phone because I keep my phone on silent, on vibrate. And the last 
couple of weeks, all of a sudden, certain phone numbers that come in ring, and I don't know why they ring. I, I mean, I've got them on vibrate and silent, so any Apple experts here at the end of the service, please help me, because that's not supposed to happen. I'm sorry, I just turned it off. And the vast majority of my calls don't. It's just like every once in a while, one just randomly rings, so I need some help. Okay. Warnings of adding to or taking away from Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 4, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take anything from it. We are not to add anything to the Bible. We are not to take anything away from it. Add thou not unto his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And Revelation 22, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life. We are not to add anything to nor take anything away from the word of God. Oh, well, that prohibition in Revelation 22, that's just, that's just talking about the book of Revelation. We believe in what's called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. All of Scripture is equally inspired. If you add to one book, you add to all of them. Well, doesn't God speak in dreams and visions? Watch this from Matt Chandler. What I'm asking you to do is be brave. Ask, hear, step out, approach, and just say, Hey, while I was praying... The Lord brought you to my mind. And, and even if it sounds crazy to you, just trust him. He's going, okay, Danny, let's do it. Lord, what would you want me to encourage Danny with? And then I quiet again, trying to listen. And then automatically in my head, there's a picture of a ship, a pirate ship. And then there's, uh, there, there's like cannons on the pirate ship. And there's a shark chasing the pirate ship. Now at that point, you're like, nope, no. <laughs> Not going to happen. Right? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just step out. And you can even admit, like, we're growing together and we're going to fail. And this is going to get weird. It's going to be awesome. Like, I'm just going to go to Danny and I'm going to be like, hey, brother, you heard my sermon. I was praying. Danny, it was a pirate ship. It's a shark chasing it. There were cannons. I'm not going to interpret that for him. I'm not going to be like, what I think that means is that maybe you're stealing some stuff from people and Jesus is the shark and uh, you need to repent. I'm, I'm not going to interpret that for him. I'm just going to go. And in a great deal of humility, I'm just going to be, does that make any sense to you? No. No, that doesn't make any sense to me. Exactly what is the hermeneutical grid for pirate ships? I mean, how, how are we supposed to interpret dreams? The Bible doesn't give us any direction on that either. The Bible does record God speaking to various people in dreams, Old and New Testament. But there is no hermeneutical grid for that. How are you supposed to interpret dreams? All of us dream every night, or most nights anyway. You know, how, and, and we think every time we have a dream, that's God speaking to us? You know, I, I remember... Um, long time ago, I had a dream that I was being chased around a Kentucky Fried Chicken by four tornadoes. Was that God trying to tell me not to go eat at KFC? No. My doctor might tell me that, but I don't think God was. 
You know, it's just a dream. It's just a, it's just a stupid dream. Friends, God's not trying to talk to you through your dreams. Okay, we have no way of interpreting dreams. They're just dreams. They're just our brain does some weird stuff with the things that we see and experience on a daily basis, and it kind of mashes it all up together in dreams. And you know, we have these. Stop trying to interpret your dreams. God's not speaking that way anymore. How do we know He's not speaking that way anymore? Well, from Hebrews chapter one, one and two. The writer of Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The writer of Hebrews says that God spoke in the Old Testament in a lot of different ways. Indeed, God spoke to Moses up on the mountain through a storm and thunder. Spoke to him through a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah through a still, small voice. Spoke to Joseph in a dream, Jacob in a dream. Uh, God spoke in a lot of different ways. Numbers 22, God even made a donkey talk. So God did indeed speak in many different portions and in many different ways. But in these last days, says the writer of Hebrews, he has spoken to us in his son. Friends, Jesus is the final speaking of God. The final speaking of God. Everything that God has to say to us, he has said in his son, Jesus Christ. And we have a perfect, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient record of that in his word. Jesus is the final speaking of God. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter writes, the apostle Peter for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he referring to there? He's talking about the transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration saw Jesus transfigured before them with Moses and Elijah. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. For we have the prophetic word made more sure, made more certain. What is he talking about? What is this prophetic word that is more certain than what they experienced at the Mount of Transfiguration? This. This is the prophetic word more sure, more certain, more certain than that. And a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I had these experiences and, you know, one morning I woke up, 3 o'clock in the morning, and for some reason I was thinking about my friend Bill. And, uh, and I just, I don't know, I was just thinking about Bill, and I prayed for Bill. It turns out that at 3 o'clock in the morning, Bill had a car accident. Are you saying that it's not God talking to me? I, I'll say two things to that and things like that, because I know a lot of people have those kinds of experiences. I'll say two things. One, we can't exegete experiences. I can't exegete your experience. All I can do is exegete scripture. Um, 
might, number two, might God have woken you up and put Bill on your, on your mind? Maybe. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Whatever it was, it was a kind providence of God that you started praying for your friend Bill who was in a car accident. It's a kind, these kinds of things, they are kind providences of God. And that's where we have to leave them. You know, we cannot read too much into them because we just don't know. Um, and people say, well, I, you know, the Lord laid me on your heart. The Lord gave me a burden for this or that. Can God lay people on our hearts? Well, of course he can. That's not the issue. God, God can do whatever he wants to do. It's not a matter of whether or not God has the ability. The question is, is, is he doing things like this? Could God lay someone to our, you know, our memory or our, give us a burden for someone? Sure, he could. Uh, does he do that? Maybe. Uh, one of my good childhood friends is a man named Chad Stewart. I grew up with Chad in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And uh, to this day, Chad's one of my dearest friends, but I live in Montana, and I, I hardly ever see Chad anymore. I'm 2,000 miles away from him. Uh, from time to time, I, I'll think about Chad, and maybe I'll pray for Chad. Is that God bringing Chad to my remembrance? I don't know. Maybe I just thought about Chad. I mean, you know, I don't know. So don't worry yourself over trying to figure out whether or not that was God doing it. Maybe you just thought about your friend and you prayed for your friend and, you know, just everything under God's providence. These are kind providences from God, but we cannot say definitively, yes, God did that. Because we don't know. We don't... We don't have a mechanism in our mind somewhere to know, oh, oh, yeah, Lord, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that you bringing Chad to my remembrance. We don't have that mechanism to know that. So how do we make decisions about our lives if God is not, you know, God doesn't tell me where to go to college. God doesn't tell me if I'm supposed to be a plumber or a, a, an accountant. So, you know, how, how am I supposed to make major life decisions? Well, here's how you know God's will for your life. Read, study, and obey God's word. Read, study, and obey God's word. And if you're not reading, studying, and obeying God's word, then nothing else matters anyway. But if you've got some major decision in your life that you've got to make and you're not sure of God's will, then read, study, and obey God's word. Number two, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Ask God to give you wisdom. Now, if you're not reading, studying, and obeying God's word, don't bother asking him for wisdom. He's not going to give it to you. But if you are, pray for wisdom. Seek wise, godly counsel. Proverbs says there is wisdom, safety, and a multitude of counsel. And so if you've got some big thing going on in your life and you're not sure what to do, Seek men, seek out some godly men that you know and say, now the first person I would say, assuming you and your wife are both believers, the first person you want to talk to is your wife. You talk to your spouse. Anytime something comes up in my ministry, the first person I'm going to talk to is Kathy. And we're going to talk about it. But then if we said, you know, we really need to get some more input on this, I've got some men in my life that I go to, and I'll ask them. I'll say, hey, brothers, I'm, you know, this is what's going on, and what do you think? How should I handle this? There's wisdom in doing that. But don't try to divine God's individual will for your life. And because, for one thing, we don't see the apostles doing this. The Apostle Paul said in Titus 3, verse 12, 
I have decided to spend the winter at Nicopolis. Did God whisper to him in some still small voice, said, Paul, I want you to spend the winter at Nicopolis. No, Paul did it just because he decided to do it. Paul stayed in Athens by himself and he sent Timothy because we thought it best. We thought it best to do so. Even in the New Testament, even in the apostolic age, you do not see the apostles trying to divine God's specific individual will for their lives. They just did stuff. They just did things. And God, on occasion, in his providence, would redirect them, but they just did stuff. So do stuff, you know. Read, study, and obey God's word. Pray for wisdom. Seek godly counsel. And then make a wise decision and do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. You don't have to worry, oh, well, if I choose A when I really should have chosen B, that every, that's just going to mess everything up and my life's just going to fall apart like a house of cards. Relax. Relax. God spoke the universe into existence. I think he can direct our paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he might direct your paths. He'll direct your paths if he's got nothing better to do. He will direct your paths. He spoke the universe into existence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I think he can direct our paths. So as we conclude, dear friends, these things cannot go coexist. A belief that God still speaks outside of the scripture and a closed canon. Those two things cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive positions. If God is still speaking, then the canon of Scripture is still open. And the continuous position on the apostolic gifts and the sufficiency of Scripture. If there are still apostles and prophets today and people are still speaking in tongues today and God is still speaking in dreams and visions today, then the Scripture by definition is not sufficient. You cannot hold to the charismatic position and the sufficiency of Scripture at the same time. Amen. Dear friends, if you want to hear God speak to you, there is one way I guarantee you, you will hear God speak. Read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. 100% guaranteed, you will hear him speak. And we'll give... Charles Spurgeon, the last word. Spurgeon says, I have little confidence in those persons who speak of having direct revelations from the Lord as though he appeared otherwise than by and through the gospel. His word is so full, so perfect, that for God to make any fresh revelation to you or me is quite needless. To do so would be to put a dishonor upon the perfection of that word. Indeed. Indeed.